0: Good morning, welcome again to our uh, kickoff. It's good to have a kickoff this year. We didn't get one last year. And uh, who is more excited for the coffee or actually having kids ministry this Sunday? Coffee, <laughs> kids ministry. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it's a it's a good Sunday. We're looking forward to this ministry year, and I'm looking forward to this uh, this series. I want to believe, but uh, two decades ago when I started. Uh, Uh, vocational ministry and I started pastoring, uh, there was a lot of what I would call nominal Christians or complacent Christians, uh, where we lived in a culture where most people had some kind of faith association, Christian kind of connection. Maybe they grew up in church or at least they were familiar with the story and, and they were kind of complacent or nominally Christian and they would show up at church on Easter and they would come to church on a kickoff Sunday and maybe Christmas. Uh, but other than that, uh, faith didn't have a central role in their lives. But I've noticed something over the last 20 years is that more and more and more people are actually moving away from even being uh, nominally uh, followers of Jesus or, uh, or complacent about it to outright just uh, not sure if they believe anything anymore. Uh, moving from a place of, of faith and belief to a place of, uh, of unbelief and question and doubts and uh, t- to the point of uh, just feeling a little bit, uh, you know, not sure what the truth is anymore. And this is often referred to as deconstruction. And, and many people in our time, and it's, uh, it's happening more and more, are going through this, uh, this sense of deconstruction. Uh, moving from a world where there was some absolute truth, some black and white, to uh, to this postmodern world, and I'll break that down over the series of uh, all truth being relative, uh, and so it leaves us uh, with not being sure what to believe. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why people may find themselves in this type of space. We did a survey and we asked this question: "I want to believe in God, but." And we had lots of great engagement on that survey. So thank you for filling out. Thank you for getting friends, family, coworkers to fill it out. Um, It's really, it's eye-opening, in many ways not surprised because there's definitely a lot of themes that are similar that came out in that survey, which we're gonna cover through the course of this uh, series. We had some people that said, you know, fill the line, I wanna believe in God, but, and they said, I don't wanna believe in God. Why would you assume that? Uh, So (laughs) it's like, okay. Uh, So some people definitely didn't want to even engage, uh, but some were uh, willing to be quite honest, Uh, and it's clear that some people maybe grew up in the church and had hurts, had pains, uh, had disappointments, and had turned their backs on God. Uh, Or some people uh, felt like Christians were the reason that they didn't want to believe in God because of how Christians behave. Uh, There's all all sorts of reasons. But we've kind of looked at uh, those themes, and we're going to cover those themes in this series. Uh, But perhaps we're believing uh, lies about God, and those lies actually bring us to a place of not believing in God. We believe lies about God, and then when those lies don't turn out to be true, because they're not, uh, we actually think we're in a place of disbelief, and so we're going to talk about that, um, uh, but to kind of get us going on this theme, I want to play a quick game as well. You know, Colton played a game, so I got to play a game. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Dave Chow, who's our pastor of Caring Community here. Dave, why don't you come up on stage? Uh, can you bring your hat with you, Dave? You got I, I really like that hat on you, um, so uh, yeah, please, please welcome Dave in his hat. Um, you got a mic. Okay. Is that just so the, uh, the shine doesn't blind everyone? on? That's, that's right. That's okay. right. Um, okay, so two truths and a lie. And uh, so these are the, the statements that Dave gave me, uh, and two of these are true, and one of them is a lie, and your job uh, is to figure out which one is the lie. Uh, and so Dave's are, I know martial arts, I was body-checked by Bono, and I'm related to Jackie Chan. These are tough. These are tough. And all of them have like some kind of connection to martial arts, which I see a common theme here. Uh, so, the first one. Who thinks uh, the first one's a lie? Oh, nobody. Okay, Dave's MMA. His MMA career precedes him. Uh, number two, I was body checked by Bono. Anybody thinks that, that one's a lie? No way. We got a hand here. Okay, a few in the back. Okay. Uh, number three, I'm related to Jackie Chan. Okay, well, much to your surprise, Dave actually is not related to Jackie Chan. <laughs> that would be the lie. Okay. Um, Dave didn't know this one, but I'm going to pull one more on him. Uh, Dave, uh, can you read to me the next one? One more game. Two truths and a lie. Dave Chow loves to wear this hat because, one, he's bald. Or you read the next two for me. I'm not going to read that. No. He's distinguished and he calls movies films. He only drinks single-origin pour-over coffee. So who thinks it's number one? Because he's bald, calls movies films, only drinks single origin, pour over coffee, he's a coffee snob, in other words. Anybody? Okay, this one's a trick question. Two of them are a lie. The truth is, he is bald. He is bald. Uh, so <laughs> anyways, thank you, Dave, for joining us. I'm not... Give him a hand. And I'm not that far behind Dave, so uh, I can a little fun at him. Okay, anyways, I want to believe in God, but we believe all sorts of things about God that uh, aren't true. That we actually believe certain lies about God, and we've gotten our truth and our lies mixed up. In this series, we're going to look at the reasons why people choose not to believe in God, and uh, the, the idea behind this series, and, and I think what we want to uncover, is that often, it's not God that we actually believe in, it's a distorted view of God that we've, we've put our trust in. And when that distorted view of God doesn't turn out to be true, uh, we think that we have to move away from faith. Um, and so I want to tell you where we're going in this series because a lot of you did fill out the survey, uh, and there might be a friend or a co-worker that did, family member, and you might be thinking, hey, I wonder which uh, topics we're going to cover in which weeks. Um, so next week, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the goosebump God. Uh, this is the God that we want to believe in, but we just don't feel him. I tried to read the Bible, I went to church, and I don't feel anything, I don't sense anything, I don't hear God's voice. Um, How can I really believe in a God that I can't see, I can't feel, uh, and how am I supposed to put that faith in that God? So we're gonna talk about that next week. Uh, The third week, we're gonna talk about the heartless God. I believe in God, but have you seen all the tragic things that happen in this world? How can I believe in a God that allows, you know, uh, 9-11? Yesterday was the the anniversary of 9/11. Uh, how can I believe in a God that allows that type of terrorist activity or school shootings? Or how can I believe in a God when I pray for something uh, that I feel like is really, really important, and instead I actually get the exact opposite, and my life starts getting worse? How can I believe in a God that doesn't seem like He cares? And so, third week we're going to talk about the heart, the heartless God. Uh, fourth week we're going to talk about the killjoy God. I would love to believe in God, but. When I think about following God, I don't want to follow all those rules. I mean, there just seems to be way too many rules in Christianity. If I'm going to follow Jesus means i got to go to church, i got to give my money to the church, I can't watch that, I can't do that, and that whole no sex before marriage thing. You know, forget that. Why would I ever sign up for that? And so the fourth week, we're going to talk about the killjoy God, and then the fifth week, we're going to talk about the anti-science God. Uh, I want to believe in God, but through scientific advancement and education, it seems like God is more like a fairy tale. I've heard explanations for everything that seem much more plausible than any explanations that Christians say and believe. So that's where we're going. Uh, But today, before we get into today's topic, uh, I do want to have a little bit more fun before we we dive into it, and I want to take a trip down memory lane. And one of the things I love about this faith community is that we're intergenerational. Uh, You'll see all sorts of age, demographics here, and I love that about us. And often we have young people up here leading. You know, Dalen was up here leading, and sometimes Dalen, you know, he's a millennial, and he says something, and some of you guys are like, I don't get that reference. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know, so if you're in the older demographic at SunWest in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, this is your morning. For all those mornings, you're like, I don't get it. It's time to reverse it and make sure these millennials don't get it, okay? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. So to those Gen Xers, for those baby boomers, I'm talking to you. For when you come to church and you're like, I just wish they would speak my language, this is your moment. So don't let me down. (laughs) How many of you remember the show Love Boat or Fantasy Island? Put up your hand. Okay, how many people have no idea what the show is? Yeah, see? (laughs) See how it feels? You don't know what's going on in here. Um... How about the show Happy Days? up your hand. Okay, yeah, six million dollar man. All right, Dallas. Okay, someone really liked Dallas over here. Uh, MacGyver, anybody remember Mac- MacGyver? That was like my favorite show when I was little. MacGyver, I loved. you know, just could get out of any situation. What about Charlie's Angels? Oh, I didn't know if you guys would admit to that one, but uh, you surprised me. You know, if you remember those shows, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you were going to watch Love Boat, if you were going to watch Dallas or MacGyver, uh, you actually, and this is going to surprise some of you, had to be in front of the TV at the exact time when the show went on. <laughs> if, you know, if there's a show on it at Thursday at 7 o'clock, and you weren't sitting in front of your TV at Thursday at 7 o'clock, you actually missed that show, never to be seen again, just in hopes that maybe someday in the future they would run a rerun of it, uh, but other than that, you missed out on that. So some of you are like, I don't even understand what Matt is talking about. But if you didn't get there by the time that the show started, and how did you know when the show started? Well, you didn't. You didn't have like a digital scroll. You actually got TV a guide in the mail, and you had to open the physical paper copy and look ahead in your week, and had to plan your week around when the shows were starting. You had to do this, okay? Yes. Anybody remember this? <laughs> okay. It seems like a very long time ago. Um, you know, I remember. You know, and we We had, we had routines based on you know TV schedules of shows that we wanted to make sure we took in. I remember even in uh, when I was a little uh, gaffer. I don't know if it was, probably was early junior high around that. My morning routine. I would get up in the morning every morning, eat cereal, watch Power Rangers before school, and I get home and then I watch Full House and Family Matters. That was like my routine. Okay. But those were when the shows were on. As time kind of advanced, there was VCRs, you know, and VCRs are like tape cassettes. Some of you guys don't even know what those are, but they were um, like analog devices that you could put in, and if you were there in time, you could press record, and it would actually record the show that you could watch it on the VCR later. That was kind of the only way around it, but you still had to be there at the time that the show started. Uh, And you often had to make a really tough decision if you only had three VCR tapes, which show you were going to keep and which one you were going to record over, which was very, very difficult. I remember in 1998, I was watching uh, Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls play the Utah Jazz in the finals, and I just had this hunch, like, this is going to be an historic game. And I put in the VCR, and I taped that game, and that was like that epic Michael Jordan shot that you've all seen, uh, where he you know crosses over Brian Russell. You remember that, right? crosses over Brian Russell hits the jump shot, wins the championship, and that's like the iconic moment that ended Michael Jordan's real career. We won't talk about the other years. Um, but I put that on the VCR, and I never, ever taped over it. I actually never watched it again, but I had it. I had it on VCR. Uh, but that was really the only way you could rewatch anything. So obviously, we live in a different world today. Uh, how many of you binge-watched a show on Netflix last week? You're, you're in the middle of a series. Anybody? Yeah, okay. You're in the middle of a series, you're re-watching something, uh, when you got time you can like, just kind of bang off like three or four episodes of something on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, on Apple TV, on Crave, or one of the other million things that are, uh, you know, networks that are coming out now. And you can just watch it whenever you want, however much you want, all the time, whenever you got time. Uh, we live in a generation that many people are calling the on-demand generation. And when I say generation, I'm not talking about just the younger generation, because this on-demandness of our culture actually holds no prisoners. We all are a part of this generation. We've all become conditioned to this reality where we can have whatever we want, whenever we want. And if there's any kind of hesitation or waiting to get what we want, uh, we get so immediately frustrated. You know, when you think of like Amazon Prime, like something delivered to your house one day or less, you know, I, 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 when, I, when I'm ordering stuff with my kids, and it's like, you know, they want something, I was like, okay, well, we can order it. it's like, I'm like, well, you, you're going to have to wait till Thursday. You know, it's Monday. You're going to have to wait till Thursday. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, let's not even get it. Let's, that's, I'll go. I'll just, you know, I don't need it. Uh, it's like, if I can't have it, like, within the next 24 hours, we shouldn't even order it. Uh, everything is on demand, and I believe that there are many people and I would include myself in this, that kind of get conditioned by this culture, and we don't even realize that it's happening, where we get so conditioned to actually have what we want when we want it, and an expectation that we should get what we want when we want it, and if I can't get it within a reasonable amount of time, it's not my fault, it's their fault. It's that company's fault. they're, they're, uh, They're just dropping the ball. But this is unique. We have to recognize, like, just take a step back and just, you know, even the TV was a funny example, but that's, we're at a unique time in history that is unprecedented. Uh, For most of history, people have actually had to wait for things. People have had to be patient for things. People didn't always get what they want. And the further back you go, probably the more you'll realize that uh, the waiting was longer, that what people wanted often didn't get to happen. Uh, But we've been conditioned through the years as technology advances to get what we want, when we want it. And when that doesn't happen, we get frustrated, disappointed. And I think we take that cultural lens, that expectation, and we project that onto God. I prayed about it. God didn't do it. Therefore, I don't believe in God because God let me down. And so this morning we're talking about the on-demand God? Is it possible that we've been more conditioned than we think in this fast food, binge-watching, on-demand media, the same-day shopping type of culture, and we just kind of presuppose that onto our relationship with God? When we did the survey, I want to believe in God, but uh, we heard lots of different comments around, not, not necessarily directly tied to this idea, but if you follow the trail long enough, I think this is where you would come. It's hard. Someone said it's hard to trust someone who has all the power and seems inconsistent and uninvolved. I think we could probably all um, relate to that. I want to believe in God, but you know it's tough because you love him, but sometimes a lot of bad comes and it can be overwhelming and it can lead you to question God, is he with me, is he not with me, or what's happening? Or where was God when I got hurt? Where was he when I got hurt? Why doesn't he show up for me when I need him? On-demand God is great until God doesn't do what we demand him to do. It becomes disorienting. And so if our expectation on God is that he actually responds and meets our needs whenever we want it, and whatever we want, we will eventually get to a point of uh, disappointment and disorientation. And we could write this this, uh, scenario over and over again many different ways. You know, a teenager praying for God to save his parents' marriage, and God doesn't do it. The marriage still falls apart. God, where are you? You know, someone who, you know, goes to church, th- tries to do all the right things, tries to obey God, but they're, they still struggle to find a job. There's still financial uh, stress, and they just can't ever break free of that. God, how come you're not blessing me, even though I'm trying to do everything that you've asked me to do? Healing, praying for healing, for God to show up to heal uh, to heal someone, uh, the disease, the struggle that they're going through—depression, uh, cancer—you know, fill in the blank—and God doesn't seem to show up when we needed Him. Kids, you know, uh, maybe you're someone you feel like this this heart and this desire to have kids, and it seems like everybody around you is having kids, but you're just unable to do it. And and you've prayed, and you've asked God, and you fasted, and you did everything you felt like you were supposed to do, but God doesn't uh, deliver. Why, God, did you put that desire in that heart of me in the first place? There's all sorts of scenarios that you and I find ourselves in that make us question if God is real, if God is good, if God cares, if God is powerful, uh, because he doesn't show up and do what we feel like he should do, even as altruistic as our motives might be and that thing might be. When God doesn't do what we think He should do and what He could do, a lot of people decide that God isn't powerful, isn't there, isn't good, or doesn't care. So the question is, where is my on-demand God? And we're going to cut right to the chase. We're going to trace the no. uh, I'm just. I'll drop it. We're going to cut to the chase and uh, just let you know that the on-demand God doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And I, I hate to the, the blow that bubble, uh, but the bubble blo- is going to blow up at some point anyways. And it's common in pastoral ministry where someone might ask me the reasoning, you know, why did God do this? As people are walking away from God and God didn't meet their expectations. I prayed for God to take away this depression. I prayed for God to save my marriage. I prayed for, you know, fill in the blank. And God didn't show up. Uh, how come he didn't help? How come he didn't show up? And uh, I just want to say a couple things about that. I think we need to remind ourselves of the narrative that we are a part of. See, again, we live in a culture that puts you in the center of your story, and we're convinced that our story is the only story that matters, and we're in the center of it. But when we actually take a step back, we have to realize that the story of God is bigger. The grand narrative of history is bigger, of creation, of history, of eternity. We are one story, in the midst of a million stories, in the midst of one grand story, and we're bombarded with messages that say, hey, you're the only story that matters. You are the center of your own story. But it conditions us to believe a narrative that is actually untrue. It conditions us to believe something that is going to actually hurt us in the end. And so let's make this really, really simple. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. And this makes some of us feel uncomfortable. Ah! But here's the truth God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. He does not exist to do whatever we want whenever we want Him to do it. He may answer our prayers, yes, and we have stories of God doing miraculous things, but His highest calling is not to do what we think He should do. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. We have to recognize, if we're reading the Bible, if we're following Jesus, that we are not the main character in the Bible. We are not the main character. Uh, Jesus is the main character. God is the main character of the, the, the story of history, the story of the Bible. And this is easier than it's ever been, as I said, to forget. We live in a world that puts us in the center, us in the middle of the story. But God's the main character. And we're actually created for Him. And when we live for Him, we actually find our greatest fulfillment and purpose Uh, But I'm getting ahead of myself. God is not a genie in the sky where you rub on him just the right way and you get three wishes. You know, God is not Christina Aguilera. Some of you will get that reference. Some of you won't. Uh, That's okay. God's not a cosmic Coke machine where you pray your prayer, where you give your tithe, and you push the button of what you want, and then it comes out. God is the creator. We are the created. God is the potter, we are the clay. God is the Lord of lords, and we are his servants. Now, this can be hard for us to, to actually embrace, but the invitation of God is that when we embrace that reality, we actually come fully alive into who he created us to be. So we might ask, okay, if, you know, if God doesn't exist to serve us, what exactly is his role? What difference does he make in my life? And I hope as we go through the series and we focus on the things that God is not, that we will also begin to have a better understanding of who God actually is. So on-demand God, where is he? Well, he's not there. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, three really quick um, truths about God that we can actually bank on. If God isn't on-demand, what can we bank on? What can we stake our claim on? What can I trust in? Uh, And the first one is that God's heart is always what? Everybody say loving. Loving. God's heart is always loving, and I hope this encourages and you can embrace this. God's heart is always loving, uh, and if you are a parent, if you have kids, um, it, you, would, you would know this, that there's never a time where you don't love your kids, right? Uh, there's, there's never a time where you don't love your kids. There are times that you don't like them, for sure. There's times where you don't like your kids, and that's okay to admit, but there's times that you probably want to trade them in. Um, you know, I got some of my kids' friends here uh, this morning, and uh, you know, uh, You know, they got a couple of friends down the street, and there's a couple of times where, like, I wouldn't mind trading, uh, you know, Luke for Ethan there for a day. That would, uh, I'd be okay with that. Um, You might want to trade them, but the truth is, there is never a time where you don't love your kids, as hard as they maybe are. But and I also know this that there are times when you don't do what they want you to do, even though you have the power to do it. As a parent, there are times where you don't do what your kids want you to do, even though you have the power to do it. You know, if they, you know, you, you know, they forgot their lunch at school the first time. You're like, okay, I'll drive the, I'll drive the lunch to school. They forgot the lunch the second time. You say, sorry, buddy, you're going without your sandwich today. Tough luck. I'm not showing up to bring you your sandwich. Uh, and it's not because you take joy in punishing them or making them go hungry. And maybe you do, but then let's let's talk after the service. Uh, but it's because. You're doing something in them that's more important than getting a sandwich into them. You want to see something happen in them. Uh, you know, if, they're, if they're delaying doing their homework, you know, it's 9.30 at night, they haven't done their homework, and it's like, uh, ah, Dad, can you help me do my homework? And I was like, no, I can't. It's not because I don't want you to do well in your class, but you need to learn to do your homework before 9.30 at night. I have the power to help you, well, unless it's math, then I don't have the power or the capacity to help you. That is true. Um, I could help you, but I'm choosing not to help you uh, because what is more important is that there's something in you uh, that is being developed and changed more than me just responding to your every need. uh, Let me take another one, like social media, for example. Uh, I know parents are all over the map on this, and so uh, no judgment here. It is hard to figure out what to do in the social media world, but we have chosen not to allow our kids to be on social media at this stage in their lives uh, because... It's no secret or mystery that this comparison game and this image management for young people produces high levels of stress and anxiety. And so, even though my kids would love and they feel like they're missing out, I want to be in social media, I want to be this, I want to have this uh, account, I want to, and we, at this point, we've just said, no, not yet, uh, not because we don't want you. To feel left out, not because we don't want you to have friends, but because uh, we are trying to protect you and see something formed in you and your identity and who you understand who you are, uh, that we think that might be damaging to that development. So we make decisions. Like I said, we all, as parents, we make all sorts of decisions around this kind of stuff, but we make those types of decisions for our kids, not because our main desire is to be liked by them, or our main desire is to do whatever they want, but our main desire is actually for them to be formed into a certain kind of person. See, my boys need to understand this, and our children need to understand this. That sometimes I'm trying to develop something in them rather than doing something for them. I always love them, but I don't always do what they want, and it's actually because I love them that I don't always do what they want. Does that make sense? You know, and then often my boys have pulled the, you know, the, well, so and so's parents, they let them watch this, so and so's parents, they let their kids do this. You know, my response is well, so and so's parents don't love their kids as much as I love you. <laughs> When God doesn't do exactly what we want, even if we know he could and we believe that he should, it does not mean that he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We have to get rid of this, this belief that we just kind of inherit, we don't think, think about, that if, if God doesn't do what I want and he doesn't do what I think he should do, that equals he doesn't love me. that, that is it acts, It's an untrue uh, formula. It's an untrue relationship. Uh, in Romans 8, Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? Now let me update this list that Paul is giving as examples because chances are uh, most of you uh, have a trouble relating. You won't be naked this week with somebody holding a sword up to your throat. And if you are, I'd love to hear the story. Just let, uh, please share what, what's going on there. But uh, who and what could separate you from the love of Christ? Could financial trouble, relational breakdown unemployment, depression, anxiety, sickness, disease. You know, Paul is giving us a truth here for all of us to embrace. What one of those things can separate us? Can any of those things separate us from the love of God? And his answer is what? No. Everybody say no. No. In all of these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he goes on, he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. God's heart is always loving. Nothing in all of creation, nothing that happens to you, no decision that you've ever made will ever change that. So we need to rid ourselves of the belief that God doing what I want when I want means that he loves me because that will lead us to a place of disorientation and disappointment. God doesn't prove his love for us when he answers our prayer. God proved his love for us when he sent his son. God doesn't prove his love when he answers our prayer. He proved his love when he sent his son. He didn't prove it when he does what we want. God proved it, and the Bible actually lays us out, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's heart is always loving. There's never a time that he doesn't love you, but he will not always do what we think he should do. What shall separate separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. His heart is always loving. And we can know that and we can embrace that truth regardless of what might be going on in the world around us. Second thing that we can bank on, that is 100% true that God's ways are always what? Higher. Higher. God's ways are always higher. God's ways are higher than our ways. And we need to take a minute with this one. Um, you know, as a pastor, people often ask me questions, why did this happen to me? Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. And you might think that I'm a fraud. Um, and if you want to go to another church, uh, God bless you. But I don't have very many of those <laughs> answers. You know, when somebody asks me, you know, why did this happen? Why did, why did my, my child get born handicapped? I, I don't know. Why did uh, this person die in my life, even though we, pr- we prayed and we prayed and we prayed? And I can honestly just say, I don't know. There's some things that are above my pay grade. You know, uh, Lisa and I had a, a friend in high school. She grew up with this, fr- this friend, but went, uh, or in college, and she grew up with this friend her whole life. Um, and when we were in college, and, and, and this friend was, uh, you know, he was one of those guys, like, you know, if a young person is going, going to die, um, you know, it should be somebody evil, you know, that's <laughs> what like I said. But he was like the opposite, like the best guy who loved Jesus, who was an amazing uh, connector with people, who cared about people, who was a worship leader. His, his dad uh, was an amazing mentor and pastor. And, uh, and, and on a trip one summer in college between, uh, come from B.C. to Calgary, uh, they were hit by a semi, and he died, um, with, and his new, n- new wife was actually in the vehicle with him. She survived, uh, but he died in that car accident, uh, and why would, something, why would God allow something like that to happen? It doesn't make sense. Out of all the people, you know, why this young 20-year-old guy that had a bright future? I don't know. Why natural disasters? Why that people group? Why that country? Why that community? I don't know. Why those terrorist attacks? I don't. Like, there's so many things that I wish I had answers for, but uh, if I try to give any answers for those things, I am seriously in danger of stepping into God's rule and not staying in my own lane. There's so many things that I'm not even going, going to attempt to explain or understand, uh, and I don't want to mislead anybody in thinking that. Anybody other than God actually has the answers to those things. And so what we instead need to do is embrace the truth of Isaiah 55 that says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's ways are always higher. And I can take comfort that God is wiser than me. I can take comfort that time doesn't hold God hostage, that God is the Alpha, the Omega, he's the beginning and the end, which means that whatever story we're a part of right now is actually not the end of the story. I can take comfort knowing that God is sovereign. And sometimes the word sovereign gets you know, like thrown around, and it means so many different things. Um, and so let me just be clear. The word sovereign, when we say God is sovereign, does not mean that everything that happens in this life is God's will. That's a terrible definition. And in fact, some of you have rejected God because of uh, you know, ways that you feel like he didn't show up. But there's other people that have rejected God because they think that God caused all of these things to happen, that he did show up and he's the one to blame. That's a terrible definition of sovereignty. If you want to understand what God's sovereignty looks like, we can actually look at the cross to understand how God's sovereignty worked. Because who crucified Jesus? It wasn't God. And And In fact, if you go through Acts and you read all the sermons in Acts... You will see that over and over and over again, the preachers in Acts say that it was people. It was evil human beings. It was, it, was, it was people being influenced by their sin, by Satan, who chose to actually crucify Jesus. Yet, in the crucifixion, God unraveled his plan of redemption and forgiveness for the whole world. So God didn't cause it, but God used it. There's a paradigm when we think of God's sovereignty that we can actually trust that God is powerful, that God has the end of the story in mind, that the, the crucifixion isn't the end of the story, that there is a resurrection side of the story. And so even though we don't see, even though we don't understand, we can actually embrace the truth that God's ways are higher than our ways, even though we don't see it or understand it. God works everything out for the good of those who love him. God is able to transform any circumstance for the good of those who love him. That does not mean that he causes every circumstance. It just means that he's more powerful than every circumstance. I hope that makes sense. God's ways are always higher than our ways. And we can trust that. We can trust him to do his job, and we can do our job and actually depend on him and not try and think that we have to have all the answers for these things. The third one, God's presence is always what? There's always enough. Now, some of you have not experienced this, and when I started this morning, I talked about complacent Christianity, nominal Christians. Um, if you've kind of been in that place where, you know, you've opened your life up to God a little bit, but you've just tried to add him in, you know, a little salt and pepper in your life, you know, you know going to church once in a while, but he's not really making a difference in the rest of your life, I can, I can probably guarantee you that you've, Never experience the reality of the statement that God's presence is always enough. I've had many beautiful moments with God in my life with His presence, often in my most desperate, helpless moments is where I've been overcome by His presence. In my deepest failures are the places where I've met His deepest grace. In moments of isolation and loneliness are often the times where I feel Him and sense Him show up uh, and be with me in a profound way. If we live life and we just try and add God into everything else that we do, we will always, I think, feel like God isn't quite there enough. The truth is that when we're nominal Christians, when we nominally follow Jesus, but we don't ever really commit to truly following Jesus, we never discover his enoughness. We never discover that God's enough because it's always about us trying to add God into what's already happening. And sometimes we don't know what God's presence is enough until uh, that God's presence is all we have. That's why many of you who have walked really, really hard paths in your life have an understanding of God's heart and his character that others don't. Because as things were stripped away from your life and you were actually forced to pursue God and depend on him, uh, you encountered him in a very profound and personal way. This was the posture of King David, and he talked about trusting God when things don't make sense, and for a moment, you might think, oh yeah, King David, you know, a guy, you know, king in the Bible, he must have had life easy for him. Well, if you read a story, you knew that his life wasn't easy. This, This guy cried out to God more than anybody. God, why are you allowing me to do this? God, why am I on the wrong? Why are all these people trying to kill me? Where are you, God? Um, this doesn't seem fair. God, I've done all these things and I've tried to do everything right and why is this happening to me? Like over and over again. You just read like th- through the book of Psalms and you're like, dude, like give it a break. Wow, wow, wow. He, his life was difficult. He had more dark valleys than many of us will ever experience or know about. Yet he grew to know the faithfulness of God and here's what David said in Psalm 23. He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil For why? For you are with me. Even if I walk through this place where I could die in a heartbeat, even though I walk through the place where there's no physical nourishment, even though I walk through this place where everybody wants me dead and people are trying to kill me and I'm all alone and I'm isolated, uh, this was David's reality. He says, I don't have to be afraid, God. Because why? Because you are here with me. Because your presence is enough. Some translations even read, even though I walk through the, uh, the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. Now, there was a a few years ago um, where uh, my wife Lisa, her grandpa, uh, he was a pastor his whole life, uh, and he's 92 now. Uh, But there was a few years ago where he sat our family down, our our entire family, our extended family, and the uh, the kids, the grandkids. uh, And he talked with us and he shared with us how he had battled depression, how he has battled depression his entire life. And this wasn't news to some, but he had never talked about it in front of the whole family that way. And even though he had been faithful to God, even though he had followed, he'd given God his life, he'd served God, he'd pastored, even past his retirement, he still pastors. Um, he was honest and admitted that as much as he's followed Jesus, there's been these bouts in these valleys uh, with depression. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he. Was diagnosed with, with cancer, and, uh, and the outlook is not good. I mean, the cancer is an, it's an aggressive cancer, but it's, uh, he's also 92. Uh, and so we had a family get together last weekend. Uh, and during the, the family time last weekend, uh, it was quite a beautiful moment as he, he pulled. Uh, each grandkid aside and then each of the great grandkids aside and he prayed with each of them individually and blessed each one of them. Uh, very, very cool. Um, and then we gathered around him and he asked uh, for us to pray for him. And what he asked for us to pray for him in these uh, in these last days uh, was that he would know God's presence uh, and that he would have the peace of God with him uh, because, again, he had struggled through uh, these mental health battles throughout his life, and he, he wanted to keep Jesus central. Now, I share that because sometimes God uh, does do a miracle, and he shows up, and he changes things, uh, but sometimes, like, uh, uh, like Lisa's grandpa, who gave his life to serving the Lord, there's things, there's valleys that he has to walk through um, as much as he asks God to take them away. But I know that he's experienced the presence of God, the peace of God, the joy of God in ways that I have never. And the fact that that's the one thing that he's asking for and looking for even in his last days, that that would be central for him, just tells you how important it has been throughout his whole life. Sometimes you more richly experience the presence, of God, the presence of God in your valleys than your mountaintops. And in the mountaintops, we experience God's power, yes, but God's faithfulness and God's presence is most profoundly experienced by us in the valleys. And I'm, I'm convinced that until God is all that you have, we often don't recognize that God is all that you need, that his presence is enough. And there are people here in our faith community at SunWest that have walked through valleys that I have never walked but they've also experienced the presence of God in ways that I never have either. God is faithful. God created us to, draw, him to himself, draw us to himself. When something doesn't go as planned, we trust that he is conforming us, that he's changing us, that he's drawing us, that he's making us more into the image of his son. When you don't understand, God, God, why didn't you do this? God, you could have done that. You didn't show up. Remember that the God on demand doesn't exist, but what God does exist is the God that we can affirm that his ways are always loving, that his heart is always loving towards us, that his ways are always higher than our ways, that he has more wisdom than we have, and that we can know for certain that God's presence is actually enough. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as, we, as the, the band makes their way to stage. And, and I want to pray for you, uh, for those who are on site and online, but I want to take a moment uh, to respond to this God who is always loving, who is, uh, whose presence is enough, whose ways are higher than our ways. Uh, and I, I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for a minute. Uh, and as you reflect and as we as we pray together, uh, I'm just going to ask as you reflect, it, is there something in your life that you, that you wish something was different and you would really love for God to do something about it, and He's not, and you don't understand, and you're wondering why? And uh, If you're in that place of waiting and God's not showing up for something that you believe He could do, that He should do, I'm just going to invite you boldly uh, to raise a hand with our eyes closed. Just raise a hand. I want to I pray as we close. If you're in that place, just raise a hand. Let me pray for you. Um, Lord, first of all, I pray for a miracle because we do not uh, deny that you're a God of miracles, uh, that you show up and that you surprise us. And so we pray for relational breakthroughs. We pray for physical healings. We pray for financial blessings. We pray for provision. Uh, We pray for restoration of relationship. Lord, I pray for the overcoming of, uh, of depression and anxiety and those that feel alone. I pray for marriages... Lord, that are, are struggling. We ask for miracles. We pray that you would intervene and that you would rewrite a new story now. But Lord, we also believe that you are so good, that you are so loving, that your presence is enough uh, that we can still trust you even in the midst of this time of waiting. I pray for an increase of faith that each, each of us would trust your love for us, Lord, that we would trust your wisdom, and that we would experience your presence in ways that we never have before. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And lastly, I just want to say that there's, there is one time, there is one time when the on-demand God always responds whenever we call him, and that there is one truth to, the, to that uh, idea of an on-demand God. Uh, And the scriptures tell us that if we call on the name of the Lord, if we ask for his forgiveness, that he will respond, that we will be saved. And if you want an on-demand God, uh, I would encourage you that you can trust him with that. That no matter where you're at, no matter what your story is, that God's arms are always open. And that whatever you've done, Whatever choice you've made, whatever your story is, it's not beyond the love of God. and and the the scriptures invite us to actually come to Him, put our faith in him, and walk in relationship with him. And so I want to pray again, as we close, that uh, if you have never actually taken that step to be in relationship with God, that uh, that you can call out to him, and he will respond to you, we can know that with confidence. Uh, and so I, I invite you to pray in your heart as we as we close. Uh, as the band comes to lead us in the final song. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that we can come to you with confidence knowing that you have forgiveness for us, that you want to be in relationship with, with us. And so Lord, we just say that we're sorry. We're sorry for putting ourselves in the center of our own story. Would you forgive me Lord, would you renew me and would you be the Lord of my life that I can live for you and serve you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. service concludes, I'm going to invite our, our prayer ministry teams forward. If you would like prayer for uh, anything, uh, we would invite you to come forward at the close of service. Our teams would love to pray for you. Um, and uh, my my hope for you, uh, regardless of your stories, because I don't know everyone's story, uh, but there are truths that are bigger than our stories. That you would uh, know and encounter this God uh, whose heart is always loving, whose ways are actually higher than our, our ways that you would learn to trust in that even in the midst of your own story uh, and that you would experience his presence to be uh, more than enough. Uh, so again, prayer teams will be available at the end. Uh, I was informed that uh, the sun has come out while you've been in here. Uh, so yeah, Um <laughs> uh, And so we would invite you uh, and your families to stick around. There's uh, uh, there's no cost um, that the uh, the meal is free we got bouncy castles uh, and events for the, the kids and for the older uh, teenage kids as well so we encourage you to stick around uh, and just to get to know one another we look forward to seeing you guys out in the parking lot um, again feel free to come forward for uh, prayer uh, but allow me to pray to close Father we thank you that you are good uh, we thank you that you are with us Uh, We pray that we would know that. Um, Lord, we thank you for this food, and we thank you for the joy and the privilege it is to be together, to worship, uh, to actually look forward to this fall um, and the things that uh, you want to reignite, the new things that you want to do. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would guide us. Uh, as a people, as a church, uh, into this next season, uh, and that uh, that we would learn as a community even what it means uh, to know your heart, uh, to know your ways, and to experience your presence in ever deeper ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray, all God's people said, amen. Uh, we'll see you in the parking lot.